We've got some friends. Hey, I'm Luis. And I'm, I'm Luis. You and you're listening to the Content is Profit podcast. We spent the last four years learning the strategies and techniques from some of the top marketers in the world on how to create content that turns into profit. If you'd like to learn more on how to create that content that turns into profit, go to contentisprofit.com. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I've noticed? The camera today is like zooming in and now getting us out of focus in here, but it's okay. You know why? It's party time. Because today we're talking about the true power of being uncomfortable. That, that was on purpose. You know, I put a different wow. angle. I know that you're super weird about all the placement <laughs> things here in the in the studio. So that was for reals. Yeah, you're, you're testing my uncomfortability <laughs> yeah. in here. Yeah, I absolutely. love it, guys. Fuzzy, do we have a do we have a sponsor today? Yes, yeah. indeed we do. And today's sponsor is your one and only the Biz Bros. Let's with go. Content momentum, and you might be asking yourself, what is content momentum? Well, if you produce you know long form content just like this one that you're listening to or watching and you want to turn it into value packed bite sized assets then then you can send into social media like little minions and get yourself some new clients well guess what yeah. we are here to help you out so slide in the dms at Beast Rose Co on instagram on facebook we want to help you that's right guys and uh if you like this uh podcast show please go ahead and smash subscribe Hit it, do it. Like, just, just gonna get it on your phones. It's gonna be amazing. And then you can listen to these while you wash your cars and cook and, uh, you know, play with the kid. No, maybe not when you play with the kid. But, um, you, you know. Gotta, you gotta be present. You gotta be present. But yeah, all right. Follow us on social media at Beast Bros Co. Yeah, that, what happened there? That, that was amazing. That was so good. <laughs> that, that flowed. Guys, if you find this episode impactful, which I am sure you will, don't forget to share it and, and leave a five star review. Round number two. That's right. Today's awesome guest is coming back for another round of Content is Profit. Just so you know, today's guest's first episode marked a special moment in the history of Content is Profit. Yeah. It was in his episodes where hashtag Golden Boulder started. So you can imagine how good it was and how epic it is going to be today. Oh, yeah. This is so exciting. Last time, he told us all about his journey into entrepreneurship, but today we are talking all about being uncomfortable. We actually tried to make this intro as uncomfortable <laughs> as we could, but it was just going to get awkward. So, you know, we just, <laughs> yeah. we just did it a, a little bit uncomfortable. I'm just saying glad we, we didn't do that. But that being said, <laughs> today's guest has built and sold over five businesses from an Abram e-commerce to company to the biggest Amazon event company and all that while being an incredible father and husband. That's amazing. We're keeping it short and sweet here today, guys, so we can dive straight into the Golden Boulders. Please welcome... Host of the Buybox Expert podcast, founder of Buybox Experts, and according to her last episode, new content is profit brother, Mr. Joe Hansen. <laughs> Let's go. Welcome, Joe. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So excited to be back. Absolutely. Joe, yeah. appreciate it, man. Like, uh, Probably like the hour before the show was like my favorite hour because I got to listen to our episode again for like the fifth yep. time because he was so good. And uh, so I'm, I can't wait to, to dive in. <laughs> That's all I just want to say. 
That's it. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to let you talk now. But way, to, <laughs> way, way to make it uncomfortable right now. But I that's, know. That's good because that's... Before we dive in, I mean, you, you talked about Manchester United. I have to talk about my BYU Cougars, who Let's go. I think for the first time since 2001 are 7-0 in college football. Wow. So they're, they're playing a very weak schedule, but it, hey, it's, it's a unique year, right? Yeah, it's yeah. the COVID-19 year, so... I think we give that one to them, and I think they're going to go ten and zero this year, get in a New Year's Six bowl, which is unprecedented for my team. Let's That's go! Cool. So, hey, we gotta take those wins, right? We gotta oh. grab them and embrace them. And I love it. Yeah, and any sports talk, like we're we're happy to, except if it's Arsenal. Like that's <laughs> this is cancel. Uh, but Joel, thank you so much. Like last episode, for those listening, you guys can go back to episode eighty-one, I believe it is. Yes. So uh, you can go back and listen to like the wonderful story and how Joe started on uh, his business and business says. Yeah. Uh, incredible Absolutely. story. Like I, I, I'm going to give here, share a few pointers from last episode. So people go. get all excited. And then after <laughs> listening to this one, they go back to episode mm. 81 and they listen some more. And yeah. then they go yeah. check you yeah. out, Joe, because you are amazing. You know, we talked about your journey starting, you know, you try to go to medical school and then you're <laughs> like, you know what? I'm an entrepreneur after reading the e -Myth book. Yeah. And you started actually with an apron e-commerce company. Right. And then... You sold it, sold multiple businesses, started this like Amazon event company as well, which made it to like, it became the biggest one in the US, which is mind blowing. And then you sold that as well, and then created the company that you're doing right now. Then, which is the Holistic Performance Marketing Service, right? By Box Experts. And not only that, guys, we talk about partnerships, debt, school, and debt to it's kind of like leverage into your own business. You yeah. see it as a tool, right? For you, that, that concept was like mind-blowing. Yeah, for me, that was For you, that was, that was. And crucial confrontations, which, you know, that is good because when we talked about that, that was kind of the transition that we were doing to talking about being uncomfortable and you share with us a, a quick story about one of your friends that was working with you and he came to your office and you were telling yourself, do not sugarcoat <laughs> it, right? And, and you so left, you that left was us. so hard. <laughs> I get like, now every time I'm talking to someone and I know I, I don't, I can't sugarcoat it, you, you popped into my mind. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I gotta be like Joe. I gotta be like Joe, don't sugarcoat it. And it's- He's done I, better, he's done better. But I still do it sometimes. It's very, very difficult, honestly. So that being said, Joe, let, let's dive in yeah. into, into the uncomfortable. So, so yeah, I remember like that topic came up in our interview like very early and you, you feel very passionate, pretty strong to the point that you're like, yeah, guys, like we got to do this like a second time. And this is what we need to talk about. Why are you so passionate and uh, about being uncomfortable? Mm. Okay. Well, I mean, let's get precise here. I'm really passionate about developing the skill of of being comfortable with uncomfortable mm. situations, uncomfortable uh, content, right? Discussions that you need to have. Yeah. That, that's what I'm passionate about. I'm not passionate about being or feeling uncomfortable. I'm mm. passionate about developing this skill where you are comfortable where most people aren't. Mm. And, it, and like to me, you look at our educational system, the things that it's really built on, and you look at the career paths and, and trajectories of most people, and it's built upon the avoidance of a lot of confrontation, the avoidance mm. of a lot of hard discussions. And so the people that 
are able to teach themselves that or the ones who are miraculously like innately blessed with it, which wasn't me. This was something I learned, but the ones who are able to like teach themselves that you're going to be a leg up on everyone. You're going to be a leg up on all the negotiations that you have in business, but also in your personal life. Cause when I, when I really think about it, like every discussion that I have with anyone, the discussion we're having right now is kind of a negotiation, right? Mm. I'm presenting ideas, you're presenting ideas, we're having questions go back and forth. Yeah. We're kind of negotiating the whole pretext of this conversation. Yeah. And so you have to be able to be willing to place yourself in an uncomfortable position if you want to like have any type of breakthrough. If you want to be able to share something that's meaningful, if you want to connect with someone, develop trust, if you want to be able to hold someone accountable, you, wow, wow. You have to develop that skill of being able to be comfortable with what is normally uncomfortable. Mm. I, I love that aspect of to hold other people accountable too, right? Because, I mean, I think one of the main pillars of leadership would be to be able to hold other people accountable as well, right? To, um, you know, mm -hmm. to the higher, highest standard. So... And I think that's actually the first story that we started this topic with in the last episode. And I don't know if you would like to share that story first, you know, again. Um, sure. Yeah, that, it would be amazing. Just as yeah, a refresher yeah, for, for, for the well. audience. So this is back in my flirty aprons days, right? <laughs> so this is my first company. And this is when I'm just kind of like actually learning how to be a decent businessman. And I, and I read this book called Crucial Confrontations. And at the time, I think I'm this like really skilled conversationalist and I read it and I'm like, crap, I'm mediocre. Like I am like, I'm not even 50th percentile. I'm like 45th, 40th, 30th, something like that. Right. Wow. I think I'm good. But like all these things that points out in the book that normal uh, conversationalists uh, employ, that's me. Like I sugarcoat things instead of delivering the truth. Yeah, I deliver it and then I add a little bit of sugar glaze on top, right? <laughs> so that way it doesn't offend someone. And yeah. and so, and then there's a whole bunch of other ones, right? Where you kind of discount something that's hard to say or you you frame it so that it's uh, it, it's me, it's not you. All these all these kind of things that people yeah. typically do. Well, the one that was most prevalent for me was sugar coating. And so which is probably great because I love donuts. And so I love it when they put glaze <laughs> on top of it, but that's for another day. So my buddy um, who's working, and he's a good college friend. He's working for me um, just for the summer. He comes in uh, late to work. Mm -hmm. and, I've, and I've been kind of trying to practice these skills, right? Having a crucial conversation when the yeah. stakes are high. Yeah. And he comes in and normally I would say something like, dude, why are you late? He'd give me his reason, right? Or, or any of my other employees would, would give me a reason. And then I'd say, okay, well, um, it's okay. Just don't do it again. And the phrase of it's okay, just don't do it again. I mean, it just like contradicts itself. Right? Mm -hmm. It's like, no, it's not okay. And you're telling someone to not do it again. It's like, no, no guys, come on. So I knew I would probably default to this. So I told myself, if I start to say that, I just need to just stop and not even speak. And just wait until the actual proper words come out. Yeah. So he comes in and I'm like, hey, why are you late? What's going on? And he gives me kind of like, it's like a two or three minute travelogue of like, well, this happened this morning and this and this and this. So I listened to it. 
And like the words want to come out of my mouth, like it's okay, don't do it again. And I'm like, I just like jam my lips together, just like, yeah. I take a deep breath in, and my heart's pounding a little bit here. It starts to slow down, and then some actual thoughts come into my brain, and I say, "Well, hold on a second. That that doesn't sound like an excuse. You just gave me an explanation, but that's not an excuse. You didn't get in like a car accident, and like nothing extraordinary happened." That would cause you from being on time today, and you know you're supposed to be here on time. Yeah. So what do you have to say about that? And then I had to like restrain myself again because I physically wanted to like either run out of the room or like apologize for being so harsh. Mm-hmm. And he had this look on his face of just like, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe he didn't like let me go. What am I going to do?" Mm. And he got this really deflated feeling. And then he he looked he kind of bent his head down, and then he looked up at me, and he's like, "You're right." He's like, "It's that's not an excuse. I I won't let this happen again." Wow. And then he walked in, and he worked for the day. He wasn't mad at me. And then a couple of weeks later, he told me he said that was one of the best conversations I've ever had. And I'm like, "Really?" Because that was really painful for me. <laughs> <laughs> and he said that was one of the best conversations I ever had because you held me accountable and and you didn't sugarcoat it you didn't say yeah. oh it's okay don't do it again you you basically didn't buy my explanation from it because it wasn't reasonable and i had to suck it up and realize yeah i need to do better he expects me to be here on time so that was the beginning the very raw beginning of me becoming comfortable oh, with man. the uncomfortable wow. I, I i love that story um and i want to you know i want to point out this to people that You are. You seem like a very empathetic person too. By you know having that feeling of I have to sugarcoat it so I don't make that other person feel bad, right? And that's I feel like that's the the feeling that I share too when I'm having these conversations. Is like oh I don't want to make the other person feel bad, and at the same time I I don't want to feel bad by saying certain things, right? So my first my my question is. Do you think that creates kind of like a perception of lack of empathy on the leader or the person that is communicating? Um, you know, do, do, do you think some people, I mean, I'm sure some people might take it the wrong way. And how do you, how do you deal with that? Well, I think, I think you're talking about kind of communication at its most basic element here. Um, and if, and if I address it at that, I would say, Communication is a skill, um, but most of us don't go beyond like the reflex of communication that we've kind of learned. Um, meaning like you don't start out being able to communicate in life, right? You hear other people talking, you mimic them and then you learn and you progress, yeah. but then somewhere along the way, we basically stop progressing unless we force ourselves to yeah. continue to learn better how to communicate yeah. and communication like in its most optimal form is negotiation, but it's also this ability to like truly empathize with people. But, but in, in a lot of situations, not buy everything that's said or related to you, not take everyone at their word for it. And that sounds kind of pessimistic. Yeah. Um, but it, what I found in business, and I think it applies very strongly to personal life is that people generally aren't skilled with communication. They don't give you the entire story, not necessarily because they're being dishonest mm. sometimes, 
but most often because they don't know how to open themselves up and be vulnerable. Yeah. And so really skilled communicators hold people accountable, but they help people become psychologically safe or feel vulnerable. So it's actually the opposite of, of the fear that you have, mm -hmm. meaning that as you get better and better at communicating, when you hold someone accountable, if you do it in the right way, and some of this, like, let's, let's carve this out here. Some of this is a little bit dependent upon how much of a millennial someone tends to act like, right? <laughs> meaning if, if they're, if they've been like spoon fed their entire life that the world revolves around them and you hold them accountable, your initial few conversations are probably going to be kind of rough on their side. Yeah. Yeah. But, but even with millennials and I have a lot of them that work for me now and have worked for me, the more you do this, the more they crave it and love it and they oh, wow. buy into it. So going back, like really skewed, really skilled communicators are able to employ more empathy with people because people trust them. Right. And they don't feel like the person has a hidden agenda and they don't feel like the person is overly harsh. They, they feel like they're realistic, that they're presenting reality. That relationship of trust, uh, that that ability to communicate does a, a lot of cool things mm. in a in a in a self-interested way. It can get you what you want in your conversation a lot more. Yeah. Meaning the goal of your conversation, you tend to get it. But in a, a more altruistic way, it develops a better relationship and trust with the person where they benefit from the conversation as well. Yeah. So one thing I want to share here um, is, is this idea of what's called the Stockdale paradox. Have either of you ever heard of that before? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That, Stockdale. Uh, I have not. I'm actually reading right now, Good to Great. And that's where I okay, found that about that one. It, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is awesome. So. The Stockdale Paradox is about Jim Stockdale, who uh, he's like the highest ranking officer that was captured over in uh, Vietnam during the Vietnam War. And he's a prisoner of war, I think, for like seven years, tortured 20 different times. Mm. And, and in his process of doing research for good to great, Jim Collins interviewed Jim Stockdale. And he met him and he conversed with him and he learned about what he went through. And he identified what he calls this duality of consciousness concept, which was that on the one hand, he said the reason Jim, Jim Stockdale was so successful um, in like surviving and coming out of Vietnam, being a POW for seven years, mm. stronger than when he went in, meaning mentally, not physically, yeah. coming out stronger was because he had this duality of consciousness. He had unshakable faith that he knew he would prevail but at the very same time he wasn't optimistic meaning he didn't believe he would get out this christmas or an easter he confronted what he called the brutal facts of reality today so he both maintained this unshakable faith and confronted the brutal facts of reality day to day Ooh. and and jim collins in his research for good to great he researched 11 companies that kind of went through this like transcendence. They faced an existential crisis, but they survived and then became great companies. Every single one of those companies that, that were able to make that change, the leadership employed this Stockdale paradox. They were, they had unwavering faith that they would succeed, but yeah. they confronted every brutal fact of reality. They just say, oh, it's going to get better. We hope it's going to get better. And so I've, I've been kind of, preaching that to my my employees lately because like we're in the middle still of a pandemic and yeah. all sorts of kind of crazy commotion in the world right now 
And Harvard Business Review put out um, some numbers the other day saying like 65 to 70% of people um, nowadays are like dissatisfied with their jobs, even though people are, even though a lot of um, leadership are giving them more flexibility than they've ever had because they don't have this like emotional relief of being able to like go to sporting events, going out and having a good time, going to the movies, relaxing. Yeah. And and they're working at home in suboptimal environments because it's not set up for work. And so like we've been talking like, hey, th- like there are brutal facts we have to face every single day. Yeah. But we need to maintain faith. And then See, I take that Stockdale paradox and I say it doesn't just apply to really harsh situations like being a POW, yeah. but it applies to your conversations. Mm. And so you should have faith that your conversation is going to lead to something really good, yeah. but also confront the fact that parts of it are going to be really difficult. And yeah, so that's yeah. at the essence of being comfortable with being uncomfortable. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing. Uh, I yeah. know Fonzie wants to like yeah, no, do I, the machine gun with, uh, <laughs> with the comments. No, I'm just saying I love, especially, yeah. I mean, I think the timing is perfect since I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just reading the book. Um, I've been telling actually my brother all about it. I'm like, dude, you need to read this book. It's amazing. And I didn't think about it on the sense of conversations, which is amazing because I think, and I think this ties to a comment that I read the other day. I don't remember exactly who I read it from, but it was people sometimes will fail to look at the long-term um, goal, mm-hmm. if you want to put it that way, and they will focus on the on the short-term when you're doing certain actions, right? And I think mm-hmm. that goes in hand with conversations too because I'm sure for your employees, you have the best long-term you know, vision for them uh, so they can succeed And when you're having this conversation is with that in mind, like, hey, I can see your potential. I can see how far you can develop and the person that you can become. Therefore, I'm having this hard conversation. Right. But maybe on the other end, the person is thinking on the right now, like, oh, no, you know, it's it's a it's a hard one. It's a difficult one. And I think it's cool that you mentioned the Stockdale's paradox in the conversation sense, because when the other person can also tackle these conversations with is for the long term, right? I have faith that what he's telling me is to make me better. That you know, I think that makes them it gives them like a space in their in their mind to receive the message in a better way, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. So I, and it's I, interesting. Yeah, I, and I know Joe like for for you like it happens a lot with uh with your own company, right? Your own employees, your team and stuff like that. But lately in the in the show we've been talking a lot of, also about, you know, the fulfillment. Uh Friday with George Bryant, like amazing conversation with him. And I think like this is so important for people selling stuff out there, like having these conversations with your clients, right? Like, what do you want? Do you want a long-term relationship, right? So uh, just this morning, I was in two onboarding calls with with new people that are coming into our programs and expectations are very clear. And sometimes those expectations might not, very, might not be very comfortable to chat about because they might not be at that level, right? So how can we bring this up to your level? And like, we're part of the same team. Like, so I think like just bringing these concepts to, to to the client side of things like the fulfillment side of things that like whenever if we have a coach like are we coaching people right like and and it's so important because sometimes we might be afraid that 
by having a conversation like that and handling an uncomfortable situation, it might lead to maybe not a positive out- outcome, right, in- inside of your business. But like you said, you know, uh, having that unshakable, uh, unshakable faith, like this is going to work out, right? This is for the long relationship that we're going to have because we're providing something of value. You're getting something of value. Let's get better every single day. I think that's way better in the uh, at the long term of the company. Have you? Like through the different companies that, that you've been able to be involved with, have you seen something like that with your, with your clients, with your uh, with your communities, with the people that you guys are involved with? Absolutely, absolutely, and I and I I, I see it with our, our current sales team. Mm. Meaning, when um, so, uh, Buybox Experts acquired a we merged with a company called Nozani last year, mm. and Nozani had this really young kind of vibrant workforce. Buybox Experts had much more kind of mature workforce. Um, I mean, the difference of age is probably only 10 or 15 years, but that's a big difference as far as mm-hmm. like, hey, you've been in business yeah. for a year, you've been in business for 12 years, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so one of the things that we did, um, one of the things I worked on right away with our, our VP of sales, who is now our chief revenue officer, Thaddeus Hay, was we revamped the sales process. Meaning that as we, one of the things I saw was that expectations were set really high and people had this huge emotional lift during the sales process, which was unrealistic Mm. to the product that could be delivered. Um, And so it wasn't like crazy unrealistic. It wasn't like, we're going to make you a millionaire in 30 days. No, but it was, it was emotionally unrealistic. Um, And, and it was also a little bit kind of, it was too optimistic, meaning it didn't, address the brutal facts of their current situation as a business. Yeah. And so one of the things we did was we employed what's called the gap selling method, which is you identify everything where they currently are. Well, first you identify what their dream state is, where they want to be. Then you identify exactly where they are today. And then the gap between those two places. Mm. And you show them here, like here are all the things you're missing to get there, but you don't, it's not like, oh, here's the three magic bullets to get there. It's, Here's the three, the 30 very hard <laughs> things that will fundamentally change your business yeah. and require painstaking effort to fix in order for you to get there. Yeah. And by the way, you know, we solve 10 of these. So our solutions cover these 10. They don't cover these 20. So we need to make sure you have a plan in place to cover these. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, you've addressed the brutal facts of reality while mm. showing them that there is a path to the dream state of success. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing that we're talking about here uh, in that level. And then the other level of it is like the salesperson themselves has to maintain faith that it doesn't matter if this turns off this particular client, mm. the strategy is going to lead to lower attrition for the business. The strategy itself means you'll bring on better clients. The strategy yeah. means you'll be a better salesperson eventually. Yeah. Uh, it's this uh, long-term vision. Yeah. And, and like that, that's what they need to have. And then they need to go and do it. And it's a lot harder than just, you know, kind of the normal sales process of like, hey, we can do everything and fix your business right away. Yeah. I, I was about to ask you and go there, right? Like, because that, that seems, I mean, that's something that we apply, I think, like right now, like it, it could always get better, right? But we're like, okay, your message filters, the people, your audience, right? So you're going to have maybe less audience, but like 
higher quality, right? When they jump on like these conversations, they call it's like hour and a half, like we deep dive, right? So that's that acts as a filter. We we became okay with that decision, but I can see out there people are like, oh man, like that's really scary have the, having those conversations because I'm gonna lose sales. I'm gonna lose customers, right? That they might not agree with that at the very beginning. So how how do companies or sales team like how do how do we deal with that aspect of it? Well, like I said before, first you have to establish trust, meaning, mm. and there's there's multiple levels of trust, right? When we're talking about communication with like your spouse, that's very, like there's all sorts of levels to trust there. Yeah, yeah. And then there's like, okay, the sales team, I need to establish trust by them buying into my vision is, is the like the vernacular we use in business, right? Yeah. If you buy into the vision of the leader, then there's trust. And so they're going to persevere and they're going to move forward with this new process that they're uncomfortable with that initially they start selling poorer at and have worse results. But then in six months, you know, they're converting at 35% of the leads that they bring in, which is like 10 times higher than industry standard. Or, uh, yeah. I'm throwing out some arbitrary numbers here rather than giving you the actual numbers for <laughs> the sales team. But like the point was, like if I were to give actual numbers, I think our conversion rates went from like 15% up to about 32%. Mm. So they more than double as far as like sales qualified lead that comes in. Converting at 32% of sales qualified leads, like you have a really good sale. Pump marketing dollars to drive more, more of those in, and you're just going to build your business. Yeah, absolutely. But you have to have the right process set up and you need to make sure those aren't horrible clients that you now bring on. You want those people to stay with your business. You yeah. want to be able to provide the right products so they succeed and they speak well about you. Like you have to sell that vision to the person so they trust it. And and so selling that vision, some of that is about you yourself demonstrating success and credibility. It's about how you communicate it to them. And one of the best ways I like to communicate to people is to ask questions. Mm. So one of, one of the best ways to, to have an uncomfortable conversation with someone is to ask them, in essence, leading questions, like questions that get them to come to a logical conclusion that is close to the idea you're presenting. You're not trying to manipulate them yeah. into your idea. What you're trying to do is help them like gain empathy for you, start to see your vision. Yeah. And then the question is, are they going to buy into that or not? Absolutely. If you ask the right questions, then I think you start to get them there much quicker than if you just, you know, give them the fire hose and spurt it all out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. I, I, I want to go back a little bit. Um, when you were saying the, the gap selling method, because I relate so much in our, you know, the beginning of our journey when we would go to businesses and they would say, yes, I need to do this, this and that, mm -hmm. you know, these are the solutions I'm looking for. And we were like, yes, we do it all. I think it's so much easier to say we do it all than to actually face the brutal facts of reality and tell them, <laughs> hey, I can only help you with this one problem. Yeah. And then, you know, we can maybe help you figure out who can help you with the other problems, but we yeah. can only help you with this yeah. one. Yeah. And like that leads to, you know, greater trust Like you're saying right now, I think is super important. So for those listening right now, if sometimes you are afraid because your solution doesn't solve all of their problems, you know, you're one problem that you're solving, it can still be yeah. great for the person that you're serving. So yeah. don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to share that and put yeah. yourself in that spot. And the other thing that you're talking about, right, is 
kind of like getting those people to believe in the vision again going back to good to great that is that just reminds me of level five leadership right that is the first kind of like part of the flywheel that he explains and i love it because I've always seen businesses as then people buy into that one. But then this book introduced me to the idea like you have to, if you pivot a little bit, right? Like this, some of these great companies did, they have to believe in that pivot as well and go with you. Because a lot of people are just going to believe in the one result they want to get to and they and then leave, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it brings back memories of when we were coaching one-on-one -on -one kids oh. and when you said you need to ask them questions, you know, I can like make them figure, figure it out. Um, because there was a point where we were coaching and we would tell the kids exactly what to do. Right. And then the next training session, we would come and I'll be like, Hey, okay, let's try that again. And they would have forget, they, they forgot everything. And I was like, why we did, we did it like two days ago. So I started thinking and eventually I landed to the conclusion, like, okay, instead of me just telling them what to do, Let me see if I can find a way for them to discover it themselves, right? Because um, I, I started remembering that I would learn things better when I myself would discover it, when I would read about it. And, you know, so I was like, let's try that approach. And I started asking them those questions. And eventually they would land to the conclusion that this is the way that, that it was done. And they would remember it for the next sessions. We would come back and they would already know exactly how to do it. So I think in, in part getting them those wins inside the team too that builds for them to believe in their own vision right like wow i can get there too right and i am doing it myself i feel like you're empowering people to believe in themselves so i mean i i, I love this and, and i'm curious i don't know if you have any questions i, I have one you have one yeah because I, I, no, i was gonna transition rock, paper, scissors? i was gonna transition a little bit <laughs> all right here we go so my question is um the, the first time that i was like presented with this concept of being on, being comfortable with the uncomfortable was on a, on an athletic background, right? Like I was like, we all, we obviously played soccer, but uh, after soccer and loss of identity there, like we were trying, I was trying to chase uh, like a new sport, a new thing, a new competition. Right. And I landed into uh, tough mutters and Spartan races and like these like crazy events, right? 24 hour, eight hour kind of deal. And I, I was listening to Joe DeSena's podcast, And that, that was the whole premise of that show. It was like, how to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And he was, you know, telling you, hey, in the morning, like take cold showers, right? Like, in the, like doing all these things that will make you physically uncomfortable. So then mentally you become a little bit stronger than that. So um, it wasn't never really like explained to me growing up or in, in college or in an in a environment like as openly, right? Why do you think that is in the current system And, uh, and, and why, like, why can't we do like to, to start changing that? Right. Because if it's such an important skill to have in today's world, especially with the communication and the companies and the people like working, especially today, like at distance, like what is, what, what do you think is that way? And what can we do to kind of fix it? So I think it, this is just like an, an anecdotal observation here i would have to actually need to like delve into research and find out if this is the case yeah but what i think has ha happened is the pendulum just swung too far meaning we mm -hmm. like you had this like super kind of tough love culture for centuries and then it came to this like like feel good psychology and like give everyone a participation trophy mm -hmm. and 
and like just performance psychology, which is all positive kind of, and it just all swung that way. And we basically threw the baby is what's the phrase threw the baby out with the bath water or something like that. Like we did, we threw it out. Okay. It's gone. Unfortunately, go get that baby, clothe it. Don't let it freeze. And, um, yeah. And so like we, we stopped adopting this practice of like allowing ourselves to have confrontation. Mm. We viewed confrontation mm. in and of itself as a bad thing. Confrontation isn't bad, right? Um, being assertive isn't bad. The things that we want to get away from are like negative aggression and like confrontation that results in like physical harm or yeah. confrontation that explodes and isn't controlled. Like the confronting of ideas is actually like what creates anything. Yeah. And so like you need to be willing to put yourself in a situation to where you can be offended or offend others in, in order to have even kind of a productive conversation. It doesn't mean yeah. that you go into it wanting to offend. It means you go into it being willing that it eh, like being willing to let yourself screw up and fail. Mm. And that, that key, that right to like failure. I don't see that in the education system. I don't see that in corporate America. It's not really built around that they have the cliche phrases of like, well, let's fail fast and let's do this. But when you look at their culture and you look at like the, the performance reviews and all the different things they actually do on a day-to-day -day basis, yeah, they aren't preaching failure. Huh. They're preaching an obsession with perfectionism mm. versus like a good example of this is um, I served a, a religious mission for my church. I'm a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I went to Russia I was called to serve a mission in Russia. It was Russia speaking. I went over to Vladivostok, Russia when I was 19 years old. Yeah. Um, but before you go, you go to this missionary training center to learn the foreign language or the basics of it for about eight weeks. Um, and hopefully your visa is like approved while you're there. Sometimes it isn't and you end up like serving domestically here. <laughs> so mine got like approved the day I left, which was great. Awesome. I didn't even know that until I was getting sent out. <laughs> wow. You go over to this other group of missionaries. One thing I noticed was the missionaries who like, as they're learning the language, put a lot of just like thought into it and, and didn't speak proactively and were afraid to make a mistake in grammar or yeah. the other things they said, like they learned. And, and I'm trying to not speak hyperbolically here. Like, I think that they learned about 20% as quickly as the missionaries who just like, just blurted out words and just spoke and just, yeah. and just, it was just like a big mess of sounds. It didn't even sound like Russian for the first few weeks, but if they were willing to just fail and get it out there, they learned about five times quicker than the guys who like were afraid of making a mistake. Now you, I don't apply that just like straight kind of apples to apples of like business. You need to have a range of acceptable air, like especially in our business, let's say you're controlling an advertising budget. You can't go like waste a hundred thousand dollars on someone's account. Yeah. Okay. So you have a range of acceptable air, but then within that range, that's where it's like, dude, you just learn, you just fail. And then you grow from that. And that type of growth mindset, I think, is one of the keys yeah. to being psychologically vulnerable and willing to be comfortable with this uncomfortable. So it's like you're growing and you're wanting the other person to grow in that conversation as well. That's so good. Yeah. Th thank you. Fancy, take it home. 
No, I mean, I guess my, my last question is, how do you get people to, you know, become aware that they need to step into the uncomfortable, right? Because something that I've noticed is I have some conversations with people and I notice, and I don't want this to sound, well, you know what? I'm not going to sugarcoat it. <laughs> I, I know I notice that they might not be aware of their full potential or they, they, they don't have a growth mindset. Right. And they they don't like to be com confronted in their thoughts. So how do you get people to become aware of such thing and for them to say, you know what, I want to put myself in an uncomfortable position so I can grow? So I'm reading this, this interesting book lately. Um, you can add this to your list if you want. It's called How to Have Impossible Conversations, okay? And in, in this book, one of the ideas he presents is that, like, first of all, you have to have a good relationship with that person if you're even going to get close to having, like, a transitional conversation with them, okay? Um, and second, you need to listen a whole bunch. Like, the main goal of your conversation typically should be listening. And then third, there are certain skills you can learn to basically instill doubt. And I'm not one to like try to make people doubt everything, but like what you want to do is ask people the right questions so that they come to a place of like questioning themselves. Yeah. And if they are on the right path, then they're like, yeah, I'm on the right path. The question answered. If they're not, if they have a strong fixed mindset, then what they'll kind of find is like, wait, I probably didn't react in the best way. I'm really, and if they have a fixed mindset, they're going to be so embarrassed. They don't want to talk about it. If they have a fixed mindset, they're going to be embarrassed enough that they don't want to like confront it. And so you just, it's going to take time. That's not going to be a quick thing. Most people, it's not just the flip of a switch. Yeah, it yeah. takes like weeks, sometimes months for those people to open themselves up, to be willing to be held accountable. And a lot of that like comes from you having that initial conversation of listening, asking the right questions, and then giving them an alternate source. Like with some people, I've been like, you know what? There was this great book that I learned a lot from. It changed me. I realized, and, and, I, and I'm not sugarcoating this. I'm just <laughs> using, I'm just um, being very diplomatic by saying something like, I learned a lot from this book. And I realized I had a lot of fixed mindsets. I think you would you would love this book because, and then you try to think of one example where they've ever shown a growth mindset. Yeah. And then you say, because you showed a growth mindset when you did this and it reminded me of you. Boom, give them the book, right? Mm. Um, and that, with someone that has a really strong fixed mindset, that's probably the best way to do it. Cool. Well, that's awesome. I, I, I love that. Um, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to read that book just because <laughs> I've, I feel lately, especially trying to have conversations with certain people. I'm like, you know, like I want to drive the conversation a certain way. And it's not like for my own benefit. I just want them to kind of like get kind of like open their mind and think of the possibilities. Right. Whether the decision they want to take is for their own benefit and, and, and is their own. I, I don't control that at all. But I just want them to sometimes, hey, like, look at the the entire possibilities that are out there instead of just focusing on one thing. And a lot of people often focus on the negative, too. So I'm like, oh, look, the world is, you know, uh, you got to have faith, but we got to face yeah. the brutal facts of reality. <laughs> Joe, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, that, that was a, a great question. to Like, uh, that's the action point. 
Yeah, like, yeah, I that's think the that, action that's a good point. That's a good yeah. action point. Uh, Joe, again, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and continuing part two of this amazing conversation. Again, go back and listen to 80, episode eighty-one, where yeah. you know we share uh, your story and like he like amazing. You guys have to listen to that because uh, we were just perplexed. He had to stop and be like, guys, like, am I actually like? Can I, can you guys ask me some questions? Because like, <laughs> I'm mean, like, no, no, just continue with the story. It's so good. Uh, but again, today, thank you so much. Like, masterclass on how how to be comfortable being uncomfortable thank you so much for answering our questions mm -hmm. and how can people connect with you how can people you know reach out if they have any questions uh what's the best way well, if you want to connect with our business you can go to buy box experts that's b-u-y box experts.com if you want to connect with me personally you can find me on linkedin so it's linkedin.com slash and then it should be joseph hansen awesome, awesome. guys i encourage everybody to go and connect with Joseph because he's just amazing. That's right. Thank you so much. That's right. Thank you, Joe. And with that being said, guys, thank you so much for tuning into the Contents Profit Podcast. Go ahead and subscribe. Hit smash the subscribe button and follow us on social media at BizBrosco. That's right. And if you find this episode impactful, please, please go and put yourself in some uncomfortable situations. <laughs> don't make it awkward, of course. And don't forget to give us a five-star review. Thank you. I almost forgot that. <laughs> Bye.